everyone, and welcome back to Agency Nation Radio. This is Ryan Hanley, and with me is Marty Agatha. What's going on, Marty? Uh, it's a beautiful day in Minneapolis. We're talking uh, maybe getting into the 40s today. It was 55 degrees here in Albany, and for those who are listening to this uh, later on, it is February. And 55 degrees in Albany, 40 degrees in Minnesota in February is crazy. Are you, uh, you still got snow on the ground? We have a little bit of snow, but the day before, so I, I say that, but two days ago, it was minus 10. So we went from minus 10 to 55 in two days, which is a pretty odd, pretty odd weather pattern. It's, I think it has something to do with El Nino. That's a swing. That's a swing. Well, dude, um, like we, like we've been told many times by our audience, they, they don't like when we, uh, Blow, when we blow V8 <laughs> before we get to the content. So let's get right into what we're talking about today because I think that, I think this is one of the, this this topic to me is, I, I'm just, I can't get enough of it, right? I just think this is such a case study on moving way too fast in the insurance startup world. And in particular, insurance uh, and, and any really financial product because of all the regulations that are around this. And as much as, you know, the kind of startup culture is push, 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 fail fast, you know, uh, uh, adopt and iterate and all these different things. And, and I love all those things, right? I mean, I'm so dialed into that mentality. You have to be really cognizant of the fact that, that there are regulations that are, that are applied to every business who operates in this space and Zenefits is having some issues. So why don't you take, in, take us into them? Sure. So uh, Zenefits is a uh, startup darling. Um, they have received, I think, uh, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's about a half a billion dollars. Um, Mark Andreessen, um, the, the uh, inventor, the guy that wrote Netscape, the original kind of cool browser, um, is, is, is in. He's one of their biggest backers. Um, and their whole, their whole uh, platform is they've realized that there's a real opportunity to automate and to bring better functionality to small employers uh, in delivery of HR and employee benefits. And so uh, they formed this company. They've been rocking and rolling. And then out of the clear blue about 10 days ago, um, message came down that the founder, a, a young guy, and, and I don't want to be, be too uh, judgmental, but, you know, he, he looks like the typical um, techie startup guy, you know, kind of rumpled and a little, uh, looks like he's been uh, sitting overnight at his computer too, mu- too long and eating too many pizzas. But um, just, just uh, they let him go. And so that blew everything up and we started from there and that kind of got us to how we're talking about it today. Yeah. This is really interesting to me because in the insurance space, for those of you um, who, you know, may not follow the health insurance side, right? So really where Zenefits has made its mark is on the health insurance side of the insurance space. Many of you listen to this are, are, are probably property casualty based and some of you may uh, dip into health insurance. But if you're not familiar, what, what, you know, as Marty described, these guys came in as a HR benefits software platform. So a SaaS product, uh, software as a service product for uh, HR benefit administration, uh, kind of like an, an ADP to a certain extent, um, similar, similar, not, not exactly the same services. Uh, for a while, they were partnered with ADP, and I think there was a lawsuit one way or the other. I'm not sure 
who sued who, but uh, they were partnered for a while. And the, the crux of this is that how they made their money was they came in with this free software and they said, here, download our free software. You can use it in your small business. And then they would upsell products out of that. And that's how they actually made their money. One of those products was health insurance. And for those of you in the health insurance space, uh, and in particular, I'm thinking of a good friend, uh, Joe and Jean Gola, who is a health insurance agent out of Ohio, who's talked to me about this quite a bit. Um, they, it really is a powerful value proposition because you're using this software, which would otherwise cost you money, uh, and you know, and working with an outside vendor, and now you can have this software inside your business, and then it only makes sense to upsell these things because health insurance is, is you know, in most cases, is so directly tied into payroll and all this, and all this, and, all, and benefit administration, and it just seemed like this natural upsell. And they are, were, I'm not going to say were because they still are, killing the market. I mean, just killing it absolutely taking it over and i think the last number i saw was a 5.4 billion dollar valuation on this company um so this is a juggernaut in the space and the thing that makes this interesting is they've done it so fast i think a lot of people have questioned who've been in the in the industry for a long time and marty you're, you're one of those people i mean we've had this conversation about them more than a few times um how could they move so fast and still be kind of abiding by all the the natural bureaucratic regulatory barriers that we know exist in our space. Yeah, you know, um, it's not necessarily critical or somehow those two things aren't mutually exclusive, right? That you move fast and do things in compliance. Um, one of the reasons that they're so successful and, and that they have taken the market by storm is because they are rethinking and re-engineering the way these products are sold and serviced in the marketplace. So uh, we've talked about this numerous times, the new normal and how you know everybody wants to do everything now. It's when I want to do it, not when you want to get it to me. Um, and they are leveraging that consumer sentiment and they are using technology to do it. And so uh, that's why they've been so successful. Yeah, the cha the challenge is that they just, you know, bent some bent some rules, skirted some issues, and now it's come back to bite them. Yeah, so let's let's talk about this a little bit. Um, so this is kind of where I think in the insurance space, uh, the startup tech world needs to take a step back and and not 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 move fast, but move fast. And and we talk about this all the time. And I am, you know, and and, and you know, I'm kind of probably talking to myself as much as anybody because of how fast I like to move. But in, in certain regulated industries, the, you cannot, uh, uh, fast is a, relative is a relative descriptor, right? So when you're looking at the app world, right, the, the you know, applying app development to um, financial product creation technology uh, is, fast is relative, right? In the app world, you can go as fast as your fingers can type into the computer. You can create that thing and get it out there and, you know, do growth hacker marketing and all this other stuff that people talk about with apps. In in the regulated world, you want to move fast. You have to because so many people are trying to dip into it. But you have to play within the realm of the regulations. And this is where Zenefits ran into trouble. So here's an article from uh, – this is from BuzzFeed and um, – it says, in Washington state, 
where Zenefits, I think, is headquartered. No, they're headquartered in Silicon Valley. So Washington State, Zenefits um, is currently under regulatory scrutiny. 83% of the insurance policies sold or serviced by the company through August 2015 were peddled by employees without the necessary state licenses, according to data obtained through public records requests. So for those of you who um, uh, may be listening to this and don't understand uh, <laughs> the insurance space, which I'm sure is very few of you, you have to have a license to sell insurance. You can't just sell insurance without like, yep, let me put that back. You can sell insurance without a license, but they will fine you and potentially throw you in jail. So what Zenefits did was they were so growth hungry, and I'm, I'm making some inferences here, right? I don't know all the details. I know only what I've read in the news wires, and I, and I have followed this pretty closely, but uh, I only know things I've read. What it seems to me has happened is that Zenefits, because they've taken so much money, they're, they're so driven on growth and on new investments and new rounds of funding and getting bigger and dominating this market, um, they, they lost sight of, of protecting their business from a, um, from, an, from a risk standpoint. So they're selling insurance without making sure that they're properly protecting their own business. And in this case, these guys are going to get hit pretty hard. I mean, this is a major, major issue um, from a financial standpoint, not that it matters to a company, um, uh, not, not that it matters to a company with a $5.4 billion market cap, but uh, they're going to get fined up to potentially $25,000 per instance of selling without a license. And again, this is just Washington State. This is just the first shoe to drop. I mean, if they're doing this in Washington State, it's very possible that there are others. And actually, um, some other reports have come out and shown that uh, potentially other states are investigating Zenefits uh, for selling without a license as well. So, so let's let's sort of size that exposure. They, uh, you gave a percentage, but in terms of policy numbers, uh, 110 policies sold. Why? Because it takes some time to get your insurance license. You just can't show up and 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 get a license, right? There's there's this is a a state by state regulated thing, and you've got it. You've got to go through the state licensing process. Whereas um, a startup, they want to get going and and they do it. Some of those uh, people who sold those policies have gone on and are now licensed. Okay, so it's not. I, I don't. We can't. We can't say. We don't know that this was done completely with uh, throwing caution to the wind. It may have just been a a timing thing. But point being is, they weren't licensed when the policies were sold. They've got a problem. Yeah, I don't think that they did this in any type of malicious way or thought that they could get away with it. I don't think that this was done in an, in a, you know, we're so big that we, we can't, you know, no one can touch us. I, I absolutely do not think that that's the case here. I think that they were moving faster than the, the environment, the ecosystem in which they were playing in would allow them to move. And that happens, right? And what you have to do is, you know, what you have to do in that instance is, is, is take a step back, I think, and consider the space that you're playing and understand that fast uh, is relative to the market that you're in. So when you're playing in this insurance space, in this financial space, you have to um, consider your growth, consider your, your um, development alongside the other players in the market. So in this case, 
huge, enormous, all the way down to tiny little insurance carriers that don't move very fast. I mean, there's, there's been very little innovation in this space from inside the industry. So even if you're coming in and moving at a reasonable pace, you are quickly going to outstep your competition. So, um, you know, I, I think that the, the, the lesson we learned from Zenefits is that the, absolutely the insurance space needs to be, there needs to be technology um, advancements. We, there needs to be innovation. We need to think about how we, uh, how we go about uh, operating in this space better. Absolutely, we need to do that. We need to think about ways to serve our clients better and provide a better customer experience and deliver products on people's own terms. But it has to be done in a relative speed to what the industry and the regulations that are applied to this industry can provide. Yeah. I do want to caution, though, because it's very easy to look at these these situations and the one we talked about last week, which was um, – the the challenges that uh, Google Compare in the auto insurance market is facing. It's easy it's easy to sort of smugly sit back as the industry and go, ha ha ha, our business is so complicated. Ain't nobody gonna get you know yeah. the barbarians are at the gate, but they ain't getting in. Well, I got news for you. These guys sold 132 insurance policies in a limited period of time. Yeah. They are figuring it out, and they are they're going to get it worked out. Same thing with Google. I, I am a hundred. I hundred percent agree with you, dude. I, there is no way that th- this is a hiccup for Zenefits, right? This is a cautionary tale. It's a speed bump and a much bigger story. From my, from my, unless unless there are larger issues that we do not know about, this is a very small thing, right? Oh, and I and I did misspeak. I was saying five point four billion dollar uh, valuation. It's four point five billion dollar valuation. That I think this dyslexia is, thing comes back yeah, to exactly. every now and again, doesn't exactly. it? <laughs> I, you know, I think it's just, um, it's just, a, it's just, we need to think about this from every aspect of the business that, that yes, these companies are figuring this out. So this is where we get back into talking kind of to our, to our, to our own people, right? The independent insurance agents. There are hiccups. These startups are going to run into these barriers. They have to move relative to what the regulations will provide, but they're there people. I mean, this is a $4.5 billion uh, company that didn't exist just a few years ago, literally did not exist. And if we were so good at what we do, like we would all love to pretend like we are, how could they possibly come into the market and get that big that fast, right? So I want to I want to uh, I, I want to take you in a different, slightly different direction because I want to talk about, we've talked a lot about the fallout, right? But now... So, so a company has in, encountered a challenge and how they respond, right? So everybody makes mistakes. It isn't that you made a mistake that's the measure of your worth. It's how you respond after the mistake has been made. And I found a, uh, a letter from the chief operating officer who now was replacing the CEO who got sacked because he was all about speed and not about compliance. And he, I want to uh, I want to read a couple of little points that I think are very powerful, not only for the in this situation for this organization, but that should speak to that should speak to us in our business and our listeners in their business. So uh, this guy's response after explaining, hey, you know, we've had some issues, blah blah blah. Effective immediately, this company's values are number one, 
operate with integrity. Number two, put the customer first. Number three, make this a great place to work for employees. Now, if that's all he said, you know, I mean, those are all great sentiments, but that's, you know, could be just background noise. But here's the way he explains each of those points. So for the first one, operate with integrity. In order to be a great company, integrity must be at the core of what we do. We must have integrity in our business practices, compliance obligations, and internal processes. We must have integrity in our product. We must have integrity in our data and our infrastructure. And we must have integrity in the way we treat each other. We also must put customer success at the heart of what we do. Everything we do should further the goal of earning and extending our customers' trust. We want customers for life, and if we can't reasonably expect to make a customer successful, we shouldn't sign them in the first place. Finally, we must make this a great place to work for employees because we're all in this together. And if we're not enjoying ourselves, what's the point? This is not to say that there won't be major challenges and tough days ahead, but that must be balanced with a feeling of fun, fellowship, and esprit de corps. I want all of us to feel excited to come into work every day. We all have a role in that, and I'm going to try to do my best to do my part. This is, this is huge, Ryan, and, and I think this, these statements should govern the way you and I work in our business. I 100% agree with that. You know, it's funny. I actually had a conversation, um, as, as you know, and maybe some of the listeners know, my brother-in-law uh, owns a national renter's insurance agency. I've mentioned him before. And when we were talking about having this as our topic today, I sent um, this particular article to him, and I said, what do you think about this as a response? And he said something interesting, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this. He said, for my own business, I would flip three and one. He said, I would flip three and one and uh, meaning, meaning that the first point is, is this should be a great place to it work. It should be a great place to work. If you have happy people, they respect each other. They want to work hard. They want to do the right thing. If your people are happy and, and bought into what the business is and what it's supposed to be, then they're going to make the right decisions. And number one becomes less of an issue because they're not cutting corners. They're not thinking of ways to scam or scheme or gimmick, if, if those things are actually going on here, um, because they're happy in what they're doing. And uh, 100% on point. My only, my only rebuttal to that is this guy, you know, this guy was addressing a fire, right? The yes. building's on fire. His investors were pissed. Yes. Um, so he, he had to, you know, he had to sort of take on the elephant in the room. First. Completely agree. So I think for purposes of, of what was going on here. I think this was a very well-written article. And uh, for those of you that are uh, looking, you know, want to check this out later, we're going to have it in the show notes for the podcast. Um, uh, we'll have the, the other an announcement article as well from BuzzFeed in there. Uh, but you can go to VentureBeat and just type in uh, Zenefit CEO Parker Conrad resigns and you'll find uh, you'll find this letter. It's, it's, it's really well done. And I think it com I, I like that he came out and addressed what was going on, right? He didn't say like, you know, this is a great place, but, you know, this is already a great place to work and that, um, you know, these are just a small, you didn't try to gloss it is what I'm trying to say. He's, you know, he's saying in here, whether he's implying or not, basically implying without calling anyone out, 
that things were not operating properly and that they have to change. And by taking it on, taking it head on, I mean, as much damage control as you can possibly do in this instance, I thought this was a well-written note to his employees. So I think they're doing a good job. I think that if you're in the health insurance space and you aren't laser focused on what Zenefits is doing, um, you're, you, this is a major competitor. And I also think that from a property casualty standpoint, this can be done in property casualty. We let's not put ourselves on an island and pretend like it's surrounded by sharks, right? Like th this is not a far stretch from you know. It, it only makes sense that these the next step for these guys is to move into the property casualty space, just like Paychex is done, just like ADP is done. Um, it's just not a reach. So we have to keep our eyes on them. I think this is just a bump in the road. Um, but as we said in the in kind of the title of this of this podcast. If you move too fast, you're gonna get your hand slapped. And if you're aware of that and can move within that space, geez, there's so much opportunity. I mean, you and I, I know I'm gonna speak for you right now, Marty. We both love the independent insurance agent, but there are so many gaps in the market right now just dying to be filled. And um, I feel like those of us who have been around for a while are moving maybe too slow to fill them. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's frustrating, right? We we all. It's it's easy to see all of the roadblocks, all of that compliance stuff that we have to deal with. If you want to work from state to state, it's it's a, a nightmare. But there's huge money in this, and that's why the players are out there. They're looking to get their piece of the action. You know, I think that's why it's fun for you and I to come to work every day. I mean, building the trustedchoice.com platform has been, you know. It, we're dealing with all these same issues, right? Like we're licensed insurance agents and, and we have to deal with this, um, the same kind of things all the time. And geez, can it be a headache? But at the same time, uh, man, there, there are some really cool things happening. And uh, just to be able to play at a national scale and trying to help plug some of those gaps and for, uh, you know, for the independent insurance agents behalf is, it really is a pleasure. And it, this isn't an advertisement for trustedchoice.com. It's just my own work environment. Uh, I, really, I really like what we're trying to do. And, and um, I, you know, I, I believe that the independent agent is the best way to handle business. It's it's the best, best model for the consumer if that agent slash agency has come to grips with kind of the technology and customer experience requirements of the modern consumer. Yeah, so I think uh, we've kind of gotten there. Maybe we should move on to our second topic. Yeah, I think that takes us right into our second topic, actually, which is, you know, the, so we always talk about we have a, an industry-facing piece and then a marketing-facing piece. And I want to talk about Snapchat today. <laughs> I want, this is, so I, for those of you who aren't on Snapchat, you know, you probably heard of Snapchat, um, basically – when Snapchat first came out, it was for teenagers to send naked pictures of themselves to each other. I mean, that was what the platform was. That's what they were using it for. Um, the, the crux of it is... Was, was that in their business statement? I don't think it was, but that's what <laughs> okay. was happening. You know, and just like Facebook in the early days, and I'm hoping, this is what I hope, is that for the, we'll call them the more mature agents and, and, and insurance professionals out there, remember when Facebook first came out and you're like, oh, that's just for kids. Well, think about what Facebook is today. Right. Think about how Facebook has changed. And now the fastest growing uh, portion of the Facebook audience is the 50 and above. Right. Like it's, you know, and now there's reports coming out that the, that the young, the younger generation is leaving Facebook. Well, it, think about it from this standpoint. Yes, maybe Snapchat had a dicey history, um, but this it, it is it's morphing into something that I think is so much bigger. 
And so I'll briefly explain for people who don't know what Snapchat is. And uh, and also, just, just in the crux of this conversation, I would put uh, WhatsApp in here. We're going to talk a little bit about Facebook Messenger. Periscope is another uh, similar type of product that kind of fits the broader scheme of what we're talking about today. But this is... Speak, speaking of speaking of Periscope, yes, we've yeah. got Periscope listeners online today. Yeah. We're trying an experiment. Yeah, for those so for those listening to the podcast later, I actually have a live Periscope going right now. I haven't talked to them directly yet. It's just a test. We're actually doing it right now, so we're technically breaking the fourth wall at this point. What's up, Periscope listeners? Um, so actually, we're live broadcasting this recording to a group of we've had as many as fifteen or twenty people on the show. I think at one point, um, and. Uh, while we're going. So the idea of what Snapchat is, is uh, it, you, you, you do a 10 second video or an image, you can write on it, you can do all different stuff, but it disappears after 24 hours. And you can do direct one-to-one messages or you can put them in something called a story, which captures a group of messages and then they roll off after 24 hours. And people can go in and look at them and comment back. And really what I love about Snapchat is it creates one-to-one relationships or in one-to-one conversations, it brings it down to that human factor that I think the thing that kept insurance professionals from moving to social media in the first place, right? This broad, this, this idea that really social was just for broad, widespread, kind of shotgun-style communication, um, I think that kept them, kept a lot of insurance professionals out of social. Well, the movement that's happening in social today, and we're way early in this curve, but this is what's happening is it's coming back to more intimate, personal conversations. And I gotta tell you, this morning, I had a Snapchat, Snapchat conversation with a woman, um, uh, and, and we are talking about, uh, I did a Snap story yesterday about how I'm starting to use this meditation app, uh, 10 minutes a day, just to kind of clear and reset my brain in the afternoon, and it's really helping me be more productive in the afternoon. And uh, it's called Headspace, it's fantastic. Uh, I've been doing it for 10 days now, and I absolutely love it, and I'm telling everybody about it. And I did a Snap story about it. Well, I probably had seven people uh, snap back to me about different apps that they use and how they're using it in their lives, and some people use it in the morning, in the afternoon, and at night, and all this different stuff, right? These weren't Facebook conversations where everyone can see them. These were one-to-one, intimate conversations, uh, sharing kind of, like you would if you were talking to the person on the phone or having a very direct conversation. Some of them are via video. We're snapping back and forth via video. Some of them were via text. Um, And I just see this as what a great opportunity for insurance professionals to start to build back to that very close personal relationship that they initially built their business on. So from a high level, Marty, that does a huge soapbox there, but, um, Kind of dive into this. I know that you're a complete noob to Snapchat. I don't even think you're on it yet. Um, but I, I think that I like that in the context of this conversation. So based on what I just said to you, if you're sitting in the audience or listening in the audience or doing whatever they do, uh, what what are your thoughts on this? Like, how do you take that in? Sure. So the first thing I'm going to say is um, I can't even believe that this is my first blush reaction. But the fact that uh, a conversation with an insured goes away in 24 hours is, you know, that's obviously a a major, um, exposure. Yes. So that, that is, uh, number one, number two, um, I absolutely resonate with the concept that, um, conversation is 
a small group of people, not um, sort of a broadcast, right? So when you and I are on stage, we have one sort of communication going on. And I shared an article with you yesterday, Ryan, that I think applies to this perfectly. And it was about, um, it was about sort of the, the next generation of conferences, the conferences that we all go and, 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 um, we're Ryan and I were, were thinking about how we can get, get a live, a, a live conference put together. And so, what this article said was that some of the best experiences that come out of the conferences aren't when you're sitting in the audience with somebody up on stage. It's actually during the breaks when you have a chance um, in a completely non-judgmental um, environment where you can walk up to somebody you've never seen before and say, hey, I'm Marty. What do you, who are you and what do you do? Right. And so um, I think that that one to one communication or small group communication does lend itself to a much more intimate conversation, because rather than standing on stage where I've got the entire world um, ready to judge me, if if you are intimate with someone, uh, there is, I think, because there's a personal connection, there's a lot more latitude in what goes on and creates a much deeper connection. Absolutely. I, I'm 100% with you on this. I actually love that article that you sent over. And I want to throw some stats at you, right? So uh, for, here, first address the issue that you said that the things go away. You can save every snap. So if someone snaps back to you with uh, maybe policy pertinent information or something like that, you can capture that snap and save it on your phone and then put it in your agency management system. So um, you absolutely can capture it. Uh, the, the message will ultimately roll off the app, but you can capture them very, very easily. One click capture. Uh, so you wouldn't have to worry about it from a right. compliance and, and, issue. And we've, and we've, and we've talked about this before. So the real, the real consideration there is, and the reason I said that I'm, you know, I couldn't believe that that was my first response is because ever since probably the first, uh, you know, the first endorsement was chiseled onto a stone tablet. Some you know underwriter somewhere was you know complaining about the fact that it wasn't you know it was somehow creating liability that they didn't want to cover. Well, I got news for you. Just because it's technology doesn't mean that we can't um, that we can't address it, Ryan. So you are absolutely dead on. What we have to be able to do is um, we have to be able to actually create a standard process in our agency. We have to do it all the time. You have to have it lined out as a, as, as um, the standard operating procedure. And if you do that, you have ENO protection. So uh, just because it's new technology and it's a little odd doesn't mean that we can't solve the problem. Completely agree. Uh, so we actually just had a question um, from Sally in Periscope and I'm, I'm gonna bring it in uh, for the listeners. Perfect. For the listeners at home, uh, in, in a general sense, she was asking, uh, what, it, what are the stats? Is there any precedent to agents using these type of tools? And I would say absolutely not. <laughs> if you take these on, you are on the bleeding edge of this thing. And, um, and it, you know, and it, that's why we do this podcast, right, is because these are opportunities for, for agents. And, and I'm not saying that you take on Snapchat and all of a sudden – uh, your business is going to completely change. No, I think it's the mentality that that really I'm pushing for of using these tools to get back to the personal, intimate relationships that we had with our customers that made our businesses so strong. Now, I want to just talk about some stats about Snapchat because 
This stuff blows my mind. This just is a few Snapchat stats. 800 million users. That's more than Twitter. So for all the agents out there and and you know, I think carriers, especially carriers who are trying to help agents with marketing, you're you know, there are less users on Twitter than there are on Snapchat. So if you're pushing Twitter, 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 I think you're doing your agents a disservice, right? Especially because I don't think Twitter is a good tool for insurance agents. It's breaking news. It's live events. It's not, uh, it's Periscope. It's broadcasting live like this. It's not for building these intimate relationships and, and having conversations with people. Um, so here's a couple more stats. Uh, let's see here. Since, so, so, so here's the cool thing about Snapchat is how they build in advertising. So where Twitter has, can't figure out how to monetize their platform. I, I seriously don't know what's going on with Twitter. Snapchat, I think has done a brilliant job. They have a section in the app called discovery where, uh, uh, brands can actually create in these, these really cool snap stories that are compartmentalized to their brand. So I have to, if I want to check out Buzzfeed's discovery stories, I have to go into their section. Now here's the really cool part about it. It's so creative, so fun. I'm watching snap stories instead of watching TV at night. Like, you know, I, I have a newborn, so I have to be up all night feeding the newborn and making sure it's still breathing, whatever. Right? So I, instead of watching the TV, I'm watching these snap stories. They're really creative and cool and fun, and they don't disrupt my every moment usage of the application. So I can completely use the app with never, um, with without having to deal with an ad. Um, but then I can choose to go into the the advertising section and and get this really funny, fun. Uh, I was having a conversation with a guy by the name of Roger Edwards, who's a marketer in England, about how he hates to fly. And then the Wall Street Journal. I was going through their discovery feed and I found this really cool stat about how in 2015 there was not one fatality in I want to say the US or someplace with by a commercial airliner so I snapped that story I sent it to him now we're having this whole conversation and you can see how that would work with possibly your commercial clients right you find interesting stories you can snap it to them how they impact their business there's so much usage this. So, so let's talk about how this is actually used Cosmopolitan Magazine is averaging 3 million viewers a day to their Snapchat Discovery channel. 3 million viewers a day to their Snapchat Discovery channel. If I'm Traveler's Insurance and I'm not on Snapchat, you need to question what you're doing with your marketing. This is where the next generation of consumers is taking in their information. Is It's how they're conversating. This, this type of thing is an enormous opportunity. Like, if I'm a mega brand, I'm a, a Safeco, if I'm a Geico, if I'm a Progressive, if I'm a Travelers, uh, maybe the Hartford. Hartford's marketing has always been a little lackluster in terms of its creativity. But um, this is the place that I'm thinking about making an ad spend because this is the next wave of consumers that is coming into the marketplace that has absolutely zero connection to any of those brands outside of maybe Geico and Progressive, right? So yeah, but let's 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 get real, Ryan. I mean, <laughs> Cosmopolitan versus the Hartford. Come yeah, but, on. But what I'm saying is, granted, you need to be creative. They need to think about their businesses differently. But I guess what I'm saying is. Uh, the right creative inside of those places, you don't have to talk about insurance. Damn straight. I, I, I'm not I'm not suggesting that 
that our industry doesn't need to be here. What I am suggesting is we, we do have a sexiness issue. We have a sexiness issue that's our own fault. We've made our industry not sexy. That our industry can be fun and, and all those things. We've made it that way because we walk around with a stick up our butt. It's it's 100% true. And you know, if we just pull it out and think about how we can how we talk about what we do in a in a way that benefits consumers and not benefits us. We're like one of the worst about here's why insurance is important to us and you should find it important too. Like all I can tell you is I had my stickectomy about 10 years ago. The worst part is I just got put on about 15 insurance carriers most wanted list for that last little diet drive. Exactly. Right. Well, no, but it, but 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 I think I think you know all uh sort of uh, hyperbole aside, the issue that we're talking about is yes what we deal with is extremely important. It's people's financial livelihoods. It's the it's it's their life, right? But we can we can approach that in a fashion that is more um, positive and and ex- we can express our personality much more than has been the historical norm. I think that's really what we're saying. Completely agree. So I want to wrap up this episode. We've gone kind of long today, but well, that's hang all right. on, hang on, hang on. So I got a couple of points with you and your your stats here. Tell me, so 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 number one. The demographic on Snapchat. Yes, there's all those users, but I wonder what the demographic looks it's like. Skewed, so would, it's skewed young, for sure. Yeah, okay. yeah it's, it's definitely so, skewed young. This is a play at, I'm not going to use the M word. I'm going to say the next wave of uh, insurance consumers um, say, uh, so I'm 35 years old. I'm the front edge of the, of the millennials. Um, say, see, you weren't going to say it. I know, I had to. <laughs> so me and 10 years below me, so 25 to 35, if you're looking to capture this market in a way that's going to actually build brand relevance, I think this is a place to consider for that demographic. If I'm going after your generation, Marty, I'm not thinking about that messaging on Snapchat. I'm that's thinking code about for old. That's code for old. No, mature. I would put you under the <laughs> category of mature. Not. Uh, I'm not that mature. Trust me. <laughs> Uh, okay, so but I do have one other thing, yep. and this is a concern, and I want you to address it. So yep. um, the challenge is there's all these tools, right? Yep. And 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 so there are all of these potentially fragmented um, user bases to address. It's it's difficult for the usual agency, the typical agency, to you know to address more than one or two social challenge yeah. channels. So the challenge of this is that that now we've got even more that are instantaneous, you know, and and if you're not so so let's assume that that you decide that you're going to get after Snapchat yep. and somehow you miss you're not there for 24 hours, are you somehow missing potential opportunity you're obviously missing opportunity but do you, do you miss something that's so more what vital I see in snapchat just the conversation is, is i don't see snapchat as a new business revenue generation tool i see it as a retention tool i see it as a tool where um you know i i think about my own market right like um if i'm talking to a guy who's maybe you know similar to my generation maybe a little maybe younger i'm gonna ask him in my sales meeting hey are you on snapchat like like if you know why don't we let's connect there and I use it all the time. Okay, cool. 
So now you start to build up over time this Rolodex. I mean, it's really a Rolodex of people because it's all based off contacts. Um, you build up a Rolodex of people in your market that that you now can communicate at any time and, and you can build relationships and they see what you're doing and they see what you're talking about and you can, you can you know, share different snaps and back and forth. And I really see it as a retention tool. I don't see it as a new business generation tool yet. Now, if I'm an insurance carrier and I'm looking at this as a potential brand builder uh, for, for my company, but for an agency, you're not gonna pay $700,000 for a Snap story, right? Like you're, you're a Snap discovery story. You're, you're not gonna do that, I get that. But on, a, on an individual basis, whether it's with other influences in your marketplace or your customers or what have you, I see this as a really great retention and relationship building and strengthening tool. Um, and again, this is just one, Snapchat is a microcosm. There are a lot of different tools that could potentially do this. WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, we didn't even talk about today, and I don't wanna get into because that's another rabbit hole. But um, these type of tools are things I, I really want agents to start considering because I think they could be incredibly powerful for uh, the future of building relationships in the insurance space. Agreed. And I'm going to play off of that just momentarily. Um, this is a real opportunity for any of the uh, listeners out there that are in the agency management system software community. Uh, we need the ability to track lots of new um, communication avenues with our customers. Just having a, a line for an email address and a phone number doesn't, doesn't cut it anymore. Yeah. I mean, I would love for it to rain dollar bills too, but I'm not going to hold my breath. <laughs> um, so unless you have anything else, Marty, I think, uh, this is probably a good place to wrap this up. Um, I want to say, I appreciate everyone who has watched on, on Periscope. I'm, I'm going to do this from now. And I think this is really fun. Uh, if you enjoyed this show, give me some taps on the screen. Let me know that this was something you enjoyed, something you'd want to come back to. And, uh, what Marty and I will do is actually we'll, we'll, we'll let people know when we're going to, oh, we're getting tons of hearts here, Marty. Tons oh, of nice. hearts. That's good. Thanks guys. I appreciate that. So um, what we'll do is I'll broadcast out uh, our schedule when me and Marty are going to record this show so that you guys can come back on and listen. And, and I think we got some really great questions, some of which I skipped. Uh, and what I'll do, Sally, I appreciate you had a couple questions that I skipped over. I won't do that in the future. I'm going to try to incorporate those. I think it, it adds a really cool element to, um, to what we're doing, Marty. And I definitely want people to be a part of this. So I think that we're going to make this uh, a part of our show. It definitely didn't disrupt the experience. What do you think? No, not at all. The only thing that it's gonna that it's gonna create uh, issues for us is we're gonna have to get far more regular in how we record <laughs> yeah, these things. That's all right. <laughs> if something like this makes it so that we're more regular, I'm a hundred percent okay with that because yeah, I love too. doing this show. We get tons of feedback from people in the comments and in emails and stuff, and it really I'm glad people are enjoying it. And uh, if you have questions, topics you want us to go into. Um, you know, we've said this before, but this, the show's format is we do one industry facing topic. You know, today we talked about Zenefits and then we do one marketing topic and that's, that's the show. And uh, we really dive into it. And, uh, Sally's asking, how do we know when we're going to be on Periscope next? I'll push it out through Twitter. Um, but if you want Sally, uh, and, and anyone else who's listening, run over to agencynation.com uh, and, uh, subscribe to our email list. And I will uh, be putting out on that email list the schedule for the show so that you can make sure you're there. So in those emails, I send one email a week so you don't get overburdened, one email a week, and I'll have in that email when the next uh, uh, Periscope show and recording of this show is going to be. So 
Marty, this has been a ton of fun. Again, thank everyone who showed up. Thank everyone who's listening at home. Really appreciate it. Subscribe on iTunes if you don't want to miss future shows. Uh, Stitcher. Stitcher, yep, wherever you listen to podcasts. Google Play as soon as that comes out. Thank you to everyone who's on the on Periscope again. Marty, it's been fun, brother. Let's get out of here.